everybody, this is Brian Janikowski, Friday, June the 1st. I'm Christian Thwaites. I'm Emily Takenberts, and let's get started with this week's market chat. So we had some volatility this week, uh, Christian. Um, we also heard uh, from the Trump administration that they decided that they were going to go ahead with the steel tariffs uh, uh, for Canada, Mexico, and the EU. Um, you know, Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, headed to China um, to for trade talks. And I'm wondering, kind of, in terms of our positioning, haven't we isolated ourselves um, in a way that we really haven't been isolated before um, when we're when we're going to China and um, and trying to have bargaining power? Um, and specifically, how do you see kind of this policy or this type of policy affecting? Um, one of the twin deficits, which is our trade deficit. Okay, so that's a that's a lot going in there, going on there, um, and so so yes, uh, we we saw the sort of expiry of the temporary uh, halt to the um, introduction of the steel tariffs, which were levied back in March. So it it it's hit it it's hit as you mentioned uh, the two NAFTA countries as well as the EU, and they're coming back with. Uh, some pretty heavy retaliatory measures. At this point, we kind of know what industries they're going to target. I mean, bourbon is an obvious one. Uh, Harley-Davidson motorcycles is another obvious one for the simple reason that Harley-Davidson is is headquartered in Paul Ryan's district and bourbon is in Mitch McConnell's district. So, you know, there'll be plenty of these things uh, still to come. It is, I think, a, you know, a I mean, just thoroughly bad economic policy, and it it is likely to make businesses extremely nervous. The absolute sums, as we've talked about this before, are not particularly great. Uh, I mean, if there's five to ten billion dollars worth of tariffs raised on the steel imports, you know, in a twenty trillion dollar economy, that isn't a lot. But uh, but I mean, no no party would sort of take this without. Some sort of retaliatory or, or 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 other measure to try and try and get it reversed, and that's what we're seeing now. So I think we're going to see a lot of this, um, as we talk about in the blog. You just don't know whether this is the kind of bluff and then stand down approach, like we saw with some parts of China and the ZTE company, or whether it's just going to go tit for tat and these guys are just going to be, uh, you know, throwing. Uh, insults and and uh, and tariffs to each other so i think we're in for a distinctly difficult uh, couple of months um, and this may not sort itself out at all it might be a sort of a running theme of this administration for a while and on the other point sorry about china is the yes i mean clearly the eu eu has made this point about look if we're going to address the sort of china trade imbalance wouldn't it be better to do it as a block Sort of U.S. and EU, uh, or NAFTA uh, and the EU, rather than uh, just the U.S. alone, and that would certainly seem to be a logical strategy. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to do, I think, given the um, you know given the tariffs that uh, that this, that have been put in place and seem to be upcoming as well. If this type of policy does go forward um, and and is realized, um, you know, you mentioned that this is. You know, almost universally thought of by economists as bad economic policy. But do you do you, what are some of the risks that we stand if this if this thing does blow up? 
Well, uh, ultimately, um, a tariff is simply a tax on consumers. So if there's uh, a tariff going to be imposed, imported on US, uh, oh, sorry, on foreign steel coming into the US, either European steel manufacturers have to take a lower margin or US importers have to pay a higher price. Uh, now, conceivably, you know, whether it's a, 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 a margin difference on at the company level, whether it goes down to the individual level remains to be seen. But those are kind of pressures which should be very difficult not to pass on to consumers. And I think you're already seeing some of it already. Um, so uh, it's it's got to be a concern for inflation. Uh, I think part of the administration's premise is that the economy is very strong and the U.S. can always do import substitution, can certainly sort of perhaps meet the capacity which is now being met by imports. But I don't know. I think it's, <laughs> it is going to start showing up either in final prices or in the costs that businesses do. And the, you know, these, we've talked about this in, in relation to the autos, which we wrote about last week. I mean, these are very complicated supply chains in, in that, you know, a car that you the, the, with an American manufacturer stamp on it that you that you go and pick up for your local dealership is made in multiple locations, uh, literally sort of you know prefabricated and then moved across the border and then finished and then moved moved again, uh, or else it's made up of a ton of different imports from different countries. So these are, you know, if 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 companies might be looking at that, uh, disrupting those supply chains, uh, things things will get very complicated and uh, I expect a lot of companies, I think, to talk about this, although how public they'll go on it, I don't know. I think a lot of companies these days are are uh, a little gun-shy of drawing attention to themselves um, uh, in case they get unwanted uh, comments from the, from the administration. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we also had a lot of action over in Europe this week, specifically in Italy, around the kind of political process of, of forming a coalition government. Um, but you wrote about, uh, you know, the spectacularly bad day that Italian bonds had um, earlier this week. Can you just give us a little bit of, of information around that and what happened? Yeah, well, I, I think the place where Italian bonds started from was artificially low. Look, uh, you know, I think the two-year Italian sovereign rate was negative at the beginning of this year and pretty much close to German levels. So... Normally that wouldn't happen. It's just that uh, the ECB has been very aggressively buying, you know, a lot of bonds, and a lot of them have to be sovereign bonds because the corporate bond market's not that big in the in Europe, not as big as it is in the US. Um, and 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 so I think people have been lulled into a sense of uh, complacency with uh, with 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 Italian short-term bonds, you know, yielding very little different from German bonds, which are obviously much more. Uh, much safer instruments. Um, and I think what it was was sort of a bit of a spring uncoiling combined with, of course, the fact that you've got these two rather strange bedfellow parties, one fairly right-wing and one fairly left-wing, uh, agreeing on not much else other than they don't much like the EU. So, you know, for these guys to form a, a government, then I think suddenly threw into uh, into the forefront of the conversation, the fact that you've got the potential for um, uh, for an Italian government to to push back against the EU, just as the same way as the Greek uh, newly elected um, 
government did a few years ago. So I think immediately people fast forwarded and thought, okay, does this mean uh, Italy, what's the risk of them coming out of the euro, uh, having a different negotiation stance with the EU? Um, and so that that was the initial fear. Now it calmed down a little bit, but it you know, but Italian bond yields are a lot higher this week than they were a couple of weeks ago, and I would say they're probably closer to where they should be, uh, rather mm. than having that retraced all the way back. Now you're, I think, <clears throat> skeptical that Italy will, uh, you know, leave the EU. But if that were to happen, I mean, we've seen a, an economy like. Britain um, falter under Brexit. Is the Italian economy strong enough to to withdraw from the EU? Um, no, and I think actually it, the the bigger concern is not them leaving leaving the EU. It's leaving the euro mm. because at that point they would I think may want to maintain the sort of trade agreements with the other eurozone countries and the EU as a whole, but the Biggest concern is that if they opt to come out of the single currency, and then that could get very difficult indeed. And uh, that's why we've seen uh, credit default, default swaps on Italian bonds really spike up. And actually, there's two types of credit default swaps, one which include a redenomination risk and one which doesn't. And the redenomination risk is literally if they change the euro obligations back into, say, lira, uh, uh, d obligations, in which case that that is a real fear. Uh, mm -hmm. But I don't think there's so much of a fear that the that the that the the, the sovereign that the actual bonds would default. It's more this redenomination risk, which is very big, very 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 big and real concern. But yeah, I, I think if they came out of the out of the euro, it, it would just be it is unprecedented. I mean, uh, obviously Brexit's not in the euro, uh, and highly complicated and a lot of you know financial negotiations would have to take place. Mm. Yeah. I want to end on uh, the job numbers that came out yeah. this morning and um, uh, we saw uh, you know the headline news was um, you know best job numbers in 20 years uh, but you know bond yields are um, you made the point in the blog that the last time it was this low, the 10-year treasury yield was 6.5. Now it's 2.8%. So, you know, what is the bond market telling us um, about how it feels about the economy and, and the job market in general? And, yeah. um, you know, just kind of go down um, uh, around the reasons why. Well, this is open to interpretation. I don't think that there's, there's, there's the camp that rates are just low because they've been suppressed by QE and and that if the market was really much freer and the Fed had fully unwound its balance sheet, these the 10-year numbers would be closer to, say, the 3s, 4s, and 5s than they are to the 2s and 3s today. Um, and I, but the reason, the reason I think, uh, and so the, so the reason I think that, um, that the 10-year isn't higher is because the labor market looks good, but I think there's a lot of factors which make it not look as good or as strong um, or, or without uh, as, as much you know, um, tightness in the labor market as, as people think. And 
you know, we've seen this with with wage inflation. I mean, there was we got a we got a good number, I think, in March. Then it was disappointing in April. Then it was slightly better in April, in May. Sorry, but these these average hourly earnings are just creeping up at very very low levels. I mean, the the, the number today was up zero point three percent on a month to month basis, about two point seven on a yearly basis. Well, for a lot of people, their CPI is closer to 2.5%. Now, that's not the policy rate that the Fed follows, but the kind of CPI rate with energy costs and food is very close to that. So that's that's a 0% uh, percent wage increase. So, um, you know, at 3.8%, there doesn't seem to be any wage pressure. Uh, and I think people are looking very hard and not finding, in my view, very convincing examples of, of wage pressure or labor shortages. So I think the market is generally looking at, coming back to your question, why is it not higher? Because I actually don't think they think the labor market is, is as strong as it looks. Um, what One point I think is, we talked in hyper about low participation amongst certain age cohorts. It's never, most age groups, it's not even come close to what it was pre-crisis. And also, the arrival of the gig economy has changed enormously how people are defined as in employment and their eligibility for unemployment. So basically, if you gig from one place to another, uh, you don't have enough uninsured unemployment benefits. I mean, you, you might be paying your FICA, you might not, you, you know, gig might be just literally cash on the hand. But um, but you're certainly not building enough eligibility to, to take unemployment benefits. And what we've seen is that the insured unemployment rate, people talk about the unemployment rate about you know, 3.5-4%, but the insured unemployment rate, the people who can actually claim benefits, is much, much smaller than that. It's only about 1.2%. So basically, only one out of every four people who are unemployed are eligible for benefits. Um, so I've always thought, well, why would you register for unemployment on the weekly claims um, if you're not eligible for the unemployment? So anyway, it's, it's kind of another, it's interesting, if you look back, you know, 20, 30, even 10 years ago, the number of insured unemployment was much higher. And so now that the fact that it's so low, I think is masking the fact that the labor market is is not as, is not as strong uh, as people say it is. And I think that's why we're seeing not a lot of confidence in inflation and growth and therefore the 10-year Treasury number. Mm. Um, will these numbers have an effect on uh, the Fed's path to normalizing interest rates? Um, I think they'll like these numbers. Um, the inflation isn't moving too aggressively. I Look, I think that they're, they're definitely going to move in June. That's almost a, a dead certain. We had um, uh, Brainerd, who we talked about before in these talks, uh, a fairly dovish speaker and one of the permanent members of the FOMC. Uh, she she talked about uh, rates kind of moving up in June. She had some other things that they were going to look at, but uh, but but I think for June it's a dead cert, and then probably next uh, September. So I don't think no. I think these numbers are not going to accelerate the rate increases uh, or or uh, or slow them down. Great. Well, thank you very much, Christian, and thanks to you for listening. Thanks, everybody, and we'll be back. And um, uh, please rate us on the podcast uh, so that people can uh, find us more easily.
Uh, please note that this discussion of our investment investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investment investment strategy of Davis commentary. Subject to change without notice, we cannot assure what type of investments discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. It's for general informational purposes only, references to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell. That security. Security is mentioned in the commentary only several of the successful as well unsuccessful investments by us and do not represent all of the securities we have purchased or the recommended. Although we deem reliable the sources of the statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements of numerical data. Past performance, no indication of future results.